continuing our study this morning entitled Make or Break as we are looking at relationship uh, essentials. And over the last few weeks, we have been looking at uh, love and communication and having the right foundation, um, not only for our lives, but then as it comes to our relationships as well. And I want to give just a quick public service announcement. Um, once again, that next week, next week, we are talking about intimacy, okay, during our services. And so part of that conversation involves talking about sex, okay? So we want to talk about it biblically because God talks about it. Therefore, we are going to talk about it. Not that all of intimacy involves sex, but parts of it do. And so we want to make sure that parents um, understand what we are talking about next week so that there's no shock um, when that is addressed. But that is a topic that relates to all of us, all of us, because whether or not you are married, you have to have the right understanding of that because you are making choices right now in that area that are either honoring or dishonoring to God. And so that is something that all of us, whether married or single, have to have a biblical grasp on. And, and so we are going to be talking about that next week. But today we're talking about something different. How many of you guys like to fight? Yeah, okay, a couple of hands. I know every service is kind of like, it's, always, it's funny because it's always like the, the younger kids. Yeah, I like to go at it. You know, there, I mean, there's some of us that, you know, when tensions start escalating and things start heating up, you know, the temperature of the conversation starts going up. Some of us right at that point, we're like, okay, I'm tapping out. We're, we're out. You know, sometimes, you know, the, the, the earliest sign of something starting to get a little tense, there's people like, that's it, I'm out of this one. Then there's other, others of us that might even have an unhealthy fascination with conflict. Like, 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 man, that like triggers us. We like, the, you know, the, the momentum starts going, the adrenaline starts going, and we're like, yeah, I can win this one. All right, And we want to present our arguments, our case, and no matter what it is, we want to win. We want to come out on top. Well, we all know that in any relationship, if you're in a relationship long enough, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be disagreement. There are going to be things that you need to work through. There are going to be differing opinions and differing perspectives and ways of approaching things. And so it's really important that we have an understanding for how do we address conflict in a biblical way. James chapter 4 verse 1 asks this question. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? So what he's saying is the, the catalysts for our conflicts come from our own hearts. That, that the battle that we initially face comes from within us. And so what it ultimately comes down to is that we want our way. We want things to go the way we want them to. We want what we want, and there is somebody else on the other end that is not giving us what we think we deserve or what we want. That can be any number uh, of things. It can be um, our comfort. It can be a sense of affirmation, it can be respect, it can be pleasure, and, and, and the more that somebody else is not 
giving us what we feel that we deserve or that we want, the more intense the conflict becomes. We want the person to see our way. We want them to validate our perspective. We want to be right. We want things to go our way. I mean, have you ever found yourself in a knockdown, drag out fight that you track back to what caused this and you look at, oh my goodness, that was so stupid. I mean, how many of you have argued about stupid stuff? No one. Okay, two people. Less people than, than what like to fight regularly. But I'm sure a lot of us, we can look back at certain conflicts that we've had and we're like, oh my goodness, that was the dumbest thing that we started fighting about. And yet, look at where it got us. I mean, it can be over the most ridiculous things. You can have an argument over, okay, how long should the popcorn actually be in the microwave? You know, how, many, how, how long do you listen between, you know, the kernel pops before you take it out? You know, the dumbest stuff can end up causing knockdown, drag-out fights. Why is that? Because internally, there is this desire to have things go our way. Maybe some of you this morning are in this boat where you're saying, you know what, in my life I just really haven't had that much conflict. I mean, it's been really minimal. Awesome. Praise God. Praise God for that. Others of you are like, man, I'm in conflict like all the time. Some of you might say, you know, you didn't really experience real conflict until you got married. Right? Where all of a sudden it, it just got intense. You said, I do, and all of a sudden, what in the world just happened? And I, and I know that in a room this size, most likely, there's some people that um, can kind of laugh at that. But the reality is, is that, you know what, you are just having some intense struggles. Where there is conflict and you are going at it and you just try to make it through the day without having another fight. And it just seems like, man... You just can't, you, you can't get any traction, and you are so frustrated. And then you come to church, and there's people you interact with, and you might put on the smile, and you, you might worship and do your thing, but then you go home, and it's just another day, and it's another week of facing the same old conflict, and you're wondering, when is this ever going to end? And you know how I know that is because I was one of those people. I was one of those people that got married, and for probably seven or eight years, it took a while just for us to get traction, where it seemed like, man, why are we always fighting? Why can't we just get through a day without having some conflict, some fight, some knockdown, drag-out thing? And, and I can happily say now that this week we've been married almost 21 years, and by God's grace, we are no longer in the boat that, that we once were. But realizing that this is an issue that impacts all of us, whether it's an issue where you're dealing in your marriage with conflict and things are intense, maybe it's dealing with your parents, maybe it's dealing with your in-laws, maybe it's dealing with a brother or sister, maybe it's dealing with some kids at school that it's like, man, you can't cut a break every, every time. I mean, it's like kid right next to you, their locker is right next to you, and you're just hoping you're not going to see them between classes because... Every time they have something to say and it just drives you nuts. How do we address those things? Well, there is hope uh, according to our passage this morning. And the hope is not simply found in identifying, yeah, we struggle, and identifying, yeah, I have conflict, but realizing what is the hope for dealing with that conflict. That's what we're going to see in, in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. I want to encourage you to turn there with me. 
Um, whether in your Bibles or on your device, Colossians chapter 3. We're looking at quite a meaty passage um, today, and so we, we thought it uh, appropriate that if we're eating burgers, let's have a big juicy burger in, in Colossians because you're going to feed yourself physically. Oh man, I can't wait for that, right? I mean, let's not get distracted here, but um, you know, burgers after the service, I want to encourage you to take part in that. But right now, I want to encourage you to eat this big, spiritual, juicy burger that God has for us out of Colossians 3. So Colossians 3, verse 1 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in, in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you this morning for your word, and God, um, we need you to expose us this morning, expose our hearts, expose what we truly need. And God, um, whether that is the need for repentance, the need for encouragement, the need for um, being empowered and equipped, God, we, we just pray that you'd meet us where we are at. Help us to be attentive to what you have to say to us this morning, and not only to be attentive, but God, to live out what you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there are three things, three points that uh, we want to look at this morning out of this passage. And the first one is this. Um, determine the focus uh, of your heart. We see based on verses 1 through 4. So if James is telling us that the cause of our conflicts, the cause of our quarreling is a heart issue, we need to realize that we're not going to be able to address a heart issue simply by putting a Band-Aid on it. Um, it's not going to be like this superficial, hey, just cheer up, it's going to get better. I mean, when you go to the doctor with a heart issue, he's not just going to say, well, just think happy thoughts. Tomorrow might be a better day. You know, last, last year my dad went in for his annual checkup, and while he was at the doctor's office, everything was going pretty well. 
And then my mom, who was there, also said to the, doc the doctor, you know, he's been having some shortness of breath as he gets to the top of the steps. And the doctor said, oh, let's, let's take a look at that. So they, they do a checkup on him. Turns out his main artery was 95% blocked. Okay, so at that point, this is not what the doctor said. He didn't say, okay, hey, I want you to go home. I want you to go into your medicine cabinet and pull out a Band-Aid and just put that on your chest. Okay, he, he didn't tell him that. He also didn't tell him, you have a toolkit at home? Uh, if, you, if you have some things, I, I want you to go home and immediately, I want you to cut yourself open and I want you to reach in there and just deal with your heart. Say, that's, that's ridiculous because nobody's going to be able to open themselves up and deal with their own heart issue. Similarly, if, if our heart issue is what is causing the conflicts, we're not simply going to be able to deal with our own heart issues. What happened in my dad's case was he was taken by ambulance from Sheboygan down to Milwaukee and within 24 hours was having triple bypass surgery where somebody else was opening up his chest and dealing with a problem that was there. And what we have in Christ is Jesus is the one that deals with our hearts. So if, if we are dealing with conflict, if we are dealing with the quarreling within, if there are things that are being exposed as far as revealing our hearts and the nature of our hearts that have to be dealt with, it's not going to be dealt with, hey, just make a New Year's resolution, just buck up, just try harder. It has to be through Jesus Christ alone. And that's what we see in verse 1. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. So this is the key to everything else that he's laying out in this chapter. He's saying that for those that have put their trust in Jesus Christ, meaning that they have acknowledged before a holy God that we fall short, that we blow it, that we sin, that we deserve God's wrath, that we deserve God's punishment for our sin, but that Jesus came and he lived a life that we cannot live. He obeyed God perfectly, but then he died the death that we deserve to die. He paid the penalty for our sin and he rose again from the grave so that anyone that puts their trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior can be forgiven. Okay, when they make that decision, when we make that decision to trust Jesus for the salvation of our sins, for the salvation of our souls and the forgiveness of our sins, we are identified with him. We have been given a new identity. We have been crucified with Christ. We no longer live. He lives in us. Now he's saying here in Colossians 3 that we have been raised with Christ. Okay, so our identity, our meaning, our purpose is altogether different. We have a brand new identity. We are no longer enslaved to sin's power. We have been set free from sin, and we have a brand new hope that is not based on life's circumstances. It's not based on life's situations. It's not based on people's perspectives of us. It's not based on how today went or how tomorrow's going to go. It's all based on what Christ has done for us. That changes everything. So everything that we are going to see later in the chapter flows out of this first point of what we have in Christ. And according to this passage, first of all, verse 1, he says that we've been raised with Christ. In verse 3, he says that we are hidden with Christ. In verse 4, it says that we will appear in glory with Christ. Now notice what he's talking about. He's talking about our, our past our present, and our future all in Christ. 
that is so significant that it's all about Jesus, it's all about what Jesus has done for us, that our standing is because of what he has done for us, and therefore the way in which we live is focused and centered on Jesus. This position is the impetus for everything else that we are to live out in, in this passage. That since we have been raised with Christ, he says, we are to set our hearts and our minds on things above. Because your focus determines your destination. It determines your direction. Your focus determines your direction. And so if we are focused on what Christ has done for us and who we are in him, it's going to have impact on the way that we live our life. Last week, I, I, I ran my first race in like six years. <clears throat> now, it wasn't like, I know last weekend, you know, Cellcom, there's a marathon and the half marathon, and that's huge. I did the 5K, all right, the 5K. So I started out, you know, just at a, a kind of entry level kind of thing. And, you know, how that works out at the start, it's not just like, you know, they, they do the starting gun and everyone just takes off running at the same time. They have like corrals. You know, where they have the elite runners based on their time. They're the ones that are, they, they get to start at the, at the starting line and the gun goes off and they're, they're done in like two minutes, right? You look at them, they got the shorts and their legs are like, you know, <laughs> little, you know, because they just got runner legs. I mean, they look like frogs, but, but they, they just run really quick. And then, and then you have, based on your time, they just take you down to different corrals. Well, all that to say, I was in the fourth corral, so you can kind of guess where I was, you know, just... Just beyond people, uh, anyway, so, so here I am, and there are, you know, kids, no kidding, like seven, eight years old all around me, like with these little things on their back that says, like, training running, training runner, you know, on, on, the, on, the, on, their, on their backs as, as they're about to go. So the entire race, you know, there's different kids, and there's water stations along the way, and I'd be running, and all of a sudden, this seven-year-old would start in front of me just to get to the water station, you know? I mean, no blinker or anything. It was just, whoom, right in front, and then you're, like, trying to put on your brakes, and, I mean, it was crazy. And so the whole run, there's, like, seven, eight-year-old kids running around me, and, and all of that to say that the last stretch of the run, there was this beautiful sign along the straightaway that says finish line. You know what? At that point, it didn't matter if there were seven eight-year-old kids around me, because up until that point, I'm looking at, hey, I'm 43, you know? And you're thinking, as a 43-year-old, you don't want to be beat by some seven, eight-year-old kid. You don't want them running with you, right? You're saying, that's not right. That's not right. And yet, once saw the finish line, the focus went from what's happening around me, or just looking at the road and just thinking, don't die, don't die, don't die. And, and the finish line being right there was, okay, that now is the fixed gaze. That is the focal point. Doesn't matter what's going on around me anymore. Now it's about running to cross that line well. You see, the difference Jesus makes is he's saying, because of what Christ has done, set your gaze on things above. And there might be things happening around you that, are, that can be distracting. You're like, hey, that's not right. Hey, that's not right. He's saying, focus your eyes, focus your heart on things above. Because any number of things going on around us can be distracting and can cause arguments or conflict or we want to get into things. 
He's saying, stay fixed. Keep your heart focused. Keep your mind focused on what Christ has done for you that transforms the way that you live your life. You see, when we understand what Christ has done for us and the love that he has for us, it transforms the way we live our life. Just like in your marriage, I'm sure you didn't get married and then say, oh, shoot. Now I can't flirt with that other person at work. Now, now I can't try to get the attention and affection of other people of the opposite sex. At least you shouldn't, right? I mean, hopefully that's not the case, that you're, you're thinking, oh, now I can't do that anymore. Why? Because you're saying, man, I, I love this other person so much that because I love them, the attention and the affection and what somebody else might be offering has no merit. There's no desire for it because of the love now for that person that you've committed your life to. In the same way, when we understand the love that God has for us and we want to love him in return, it's not a matter of, oh, I can't do those bad things anymore. It's, man, we don't want to do those things anymore because God's love for us is so much better. It is satisfying to us. It thrills us. And so... With that, when we understand the identity that we have in Christ, what he has done for us, then, therefore, the next two points flow out of that. Next point being kill sinful attitudes and actions, according to verse 5 through 11. Verse 5, he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. So there are attitudes and, and, attitude, attitudes and behaviors that, that might exist that we might be making excuses for, that we might be tolerating, that we might just say, well, that's just how I've always been, or we might say, well, that's just how I was raised, or hey, because I'm an American, or we might make any number of excuses for the way that we conduct ourselves in the wrong way, but he's saying we have to put them to death. We have to kill them. We can't tolerate them, that they should have no refuge in our hearts, that there should be no quarry, no, no home for these kind of attitudes, that they are to be terminated. That it's not a matter of just putting on the kid gloves, going a couple rounds and act like we were fighting our sin and acting like, hey, I, I tried. Man, that thing's tough. And it's not a matter of sinful attitudes and behaviors of just leaving it bruised, battered, bleeding, and gasping for air. He's saying, kill it. Take it out entirely. Terminate it. Now notice he's not saying when you find that in the person that you are arguing with. That you are to kill the attitude in them. That you are trying to kill their behavior. He's saying, looking at your behavior. To kill it. To put an end to it. Now some of us might say, wow, that seems really violent. Killing something. We're talking about attitudes and behaviors, things in our hearts that we might excuse that have no place for the follower of Jesus. And as opposed to just saying, wow, that's so violent, what we need to realize is how offensive these things are to God. When we realize what God is so immensely offended by, we realize how violently we need to be attacking our sin in our own hearts. And realizing that these things have no place 
for us because all of these things are offensive to God and they are destructive to our relationships. So a couple questions that we have to ask ourselves when it comes to these things. Do we care more about fighting another person than we care about fighting the sin within us? Are we more prone to just go at it with somebody else, trying to go head-to-head until we are the ones that come out on top? Or do we have more intensity with trying to fight that behavior, that attitude in our own heart? Do we judge the attitudes and behaviors of someone else while tolerating our own offensiveness? Do we try to win battles at the sake of losing relationships? You see... It's so easy to see these things in other people, isn't it? Because it offends us. We don't like how it makes us feel. And yet we have a tendency to always excuse when these things come up in our own hearts. Well, if you wouldn't have said what you said, well, you'd tick me off. Well, if you just understand how angry you make me. Well, if you just understand where I'm coming from. Well, if you wouldn't have done this. Well, if you wouldn't have done this. Where does it stop? stops by realizing, you know what, because of Christ, I don't have to go head to head like this. There is freedom from that. I don't know uh, about you, but I, I didn't realize the degree of conflict that I could be capable of until I was married, right? I mean, I, I, I'm sure for many of you as well, I didn't realize how selfish that I can be until I was married. I didn't, I didn't realize how proud uh, I, I could be uh, until I, I was married. You see, within this, our, our own words, our own attitudes that we bring into any relationship, any relationship, and, and I'm sure many of us know within our conflicts, especially for those that, that are closest to us, we know the red button that we can hit in any conflict that is basically the atomic bomb. Because in a conflict, when the desire is just to do whatever you can to come out on top, there's almost a sense like no rules, meaning you can hit low, you can hit hard, you can do whatever you need to do to be the one that's saying the last word. Because somewhere along the line, we think that whoever is saying the last thing is the one who wins, not realizing how destructive it is. That just having the last word doesn't mean you win, it just means you spoke last. You might have annihilated everyone around you. You might have annihilated that person you've committed your life to, but you think you somehow won just because you're the last person talking. And he's saying, kill these attitudes and behaviors. Put them to death. Don't look at it in somebody else, but realize their offensiveness before a holy God. Because he says this, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. God does not look lightly on these things. God doesn't think they're cute. God doesn't go, oh, look at those little humans down there. Down there. Aren't they just messed up? He says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And so for each of us to take responsibility in our own lives as it comes to what we bring to a relationship, there are things that have to be killed. Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 18, he says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. So what comes out of our mouth in an argument 
reveals the nature of our heart. And so as we look at these things in Colossians, if it's a matter that we're always blowing up, if we're always speaking in a derogatory way, if we're always manipulate, manipulating, um, lying, using foul talk, hitting low in our disagreements, it's a, it's a problem with our hearts, not the other person. It's revealing, it's exposing what is wrong with us, and it's something that we need to take responsibility for. But this is where there is the hope, because in verse 7, he says, you used to walk in these ways. So it's not a matter that you've always done everything right. It's not a matter of, okay, you trusted Christ, and now you've done everything right. It's a matter of, for each step along the way, there might be times where we identify, hey, I've not done this right. And the Christian life is one of continual renewal. It's not that, hey, you, you get saved and you just hit the ground running and everything is just great from there. But it's continual renewal. I mean, that's why every year people get so excited about New Year's. Because it's a new year. It's something fresh. It's something like, hey, this is a new year. This is the year that I'm going to start running or getting in shape. Or this is the year that I'm leaving this behind and, and, and I'm doing this. And this is so not last year. And you get excited because everything seems fresh. And then you get into the new year and maybe the first few weeks go great. And all of a sudden, wait, nah, it's just like last year. I'm the same me. I'm not doing anything. I'm sitting on the couch. You know? And, and, and what we have in the Christian life is one of continual renewal because of what Christ has done. Where we realize, you know what? When I repent, when I confess my sin to God, he forgives me every time. That his mercies are new every morning. That, that it's not a matter of, okay, hey, there's just this track record, but every day we have a need to repent of things and to rely on God for his strength and his power to help us to obey him. And so the Christian life, as we look at in verse 8, it's things that we are to rid ourselves of. In verse 9, that we are to take off the old self and the old way of doing things. And then in verse 10, that we are to live out the new hope that we have in Jesus. And what that looks like we see in verse 12 through 17, our last point, to dress for battle. Because the biggest battle that we're going to have is not the person that we, we might regularly have conflict with. The biggest battle is the battle of our hearts. The, the battle for where we fix our gaze, where we fix our attention and our uh, affection, whether it is going to be fixed on Jesus and what he has done for us, or if we are going to try to get that meaning and that purpose and that joy and that satisfaction and that comfort and that encouragement from other people. But the fact that we have been saved by Jesus and that gives us a new identity changes everything, as he says in verse 12, that we are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. And so that identity, who you are, changes the way you live your life. That you are not working for something, you are working from something. You are not working for God's approval, you are not working for his salvation, you are working from his salvation because you are his, because you've been saved, because you've been forgiven, therefore put to death these things, therefore clothe yourself in these things, we see in verse 12, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, 
gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You see, because you are his follower of Jesus, because you are his, clothe yourself in this way. Because of what he has done for you, this is how he desires you to be dressed. Think about all the conflicts that would be avoided if we regularly focus on how God wanted us to live and act out of what he has done for us. Think about all of the conflicts that would be resolved sooner if each one of us did our part in living the way that God desired us to, realizing that he is the impetus for how we are to live, not based on how somebody else is acting. I mean, in the matter of forgiving one another, forgiveness is not based on a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. And we don't forgive because we feel like it. We forgive because we've come from a position of having been forgiven by God. Because, quite frankly, if you're waiting until you feel like forgiving, you may never forgive. Forgiveness is not a reward based on, okay, I think the person had their penance long enough. I think they've earned this, and so now I'm going to reward them by forgiving them. Because that's not how God forgave you. It's not how he forgives me. He's simply gracious when we acknowledge we blew it. Blew it. God, we need your forgiveness. Just like we need forgiveness, the forgiveness of other people, as well as we need to forgive others. But thinking about all the conflicts that would be resolved so much sooner, if not avoided, if we lived this way. That's not to say that conflicts are going to be avoided altogether. It's not to say that, hey, you just live out your identity and you put to death certain things and you, you clothe yourself with certain things and, hey, you're going to be fight-free, conflict-free. Because we realize we live in a fallen society. That's why Paul said in Romans 12, verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So in other words, do your part. You're not responsible for how the other person is going to react. So if, there's, if you're like, hey, well, they're not putting to death their attitude. They're not dealing with their bad behavior. Why should I? Because you do your part to the glory of God. Colossians 3.17, that whether it's what you're saying, whether it's what you're doing, how you're acting, you do your part. You live for the glory of God. See, this, this sermon this morning is not just about how you deal with conflict to kiss and make up. It's how do you deal with the heart issue when your heart is going after other things and trying to find it in other people or in other circumstances if they're just resolved the way you want them to and instead just trusting God and, and being who God desires you to be. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you're here and you're saying, man, I've been really struggling. I've been struggling with a lot of conflicts in my life. I've been struggling with conflicts in, in my marriage. First of all, I'd encourage you to acknowledge it. Be real. Not just be real under the roof of your home, but among other brothers and sisters in Christ that can pray for you, encourage you, get that struggle out into the open where it can be addressed, where it can be acknowledged before God, where you can cry out, I need help. I need help. 
And there are prayer partners up here right afterwards. Maybe that's the first step for you this morning is to come forward and just say, hey, I just need some prayer. Take it before God. Don't fight the struggle alone. In Jesus, there's hope. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you this morning for your great love for us, that while we are yet your enemies, that Christ died for us, that our relationship with you would not be one of brokenness and conflict anymore, but God, that we could be identified with Christ, that we could be yours forever. And God, I pray for everyone here. Help us in our relationships. Help us in our conflicts. Do things in a way that is honoring to you, that is life-giving to the relationship. In Jesus' name we pray.